Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And wow, do I have an amazing guest on today. Her name is Zara and you do not want to miss this episode. I promise you. Share this puppy out. We'll see you in a second. And we are back. Let me bring Zara on. Zara, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Ken. What an introduction. Oh, I am. I, I, I wish I could have introduced you by your last name. I just didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first. You wouldn't be the first. It's all good. Oh, Zara. So Zara and I met on Clubhouse. We did. Um, and and she shared part you shared part of your story on Clubhouse that night and I was like oh my god I've got to get her on the show <laughs> so and here, and, and and find out I I didn't even realize that you're in show business like you're uh, yeah wow yeah but, yeah yeah it, it wasn't um wasn't intentional initially but it uh, it definitely worked out in the best of ways. So I'm very uh, blessed, I feel. Yeah. Uh, so so I started this show, it's been about three years ago. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed somewhere in the vicinity of 330-ish um, celebrities and entrepreneurs. And it's it, literally the theme of this show is, is about helping people get unstuck in life. Yeah. And, I don't know if you've ever been stuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, let's start with where you were born and raised and kind of go from there. By the way, I'm going to give you full screen too. I'm still here. Oh. Look at your beautiful background. Oh, oh my, my God, God. No, I like just moved to this place in the middle of the month. So did you still looking for a new place? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, <laughs> all right. Pop-ups that keep coming up. Yeah, that's me. I'm I'm putting the 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 comments up. Oh, cool. so so where were you born and raised? Okay, so I was born in Kuwait. Uh, it's a little country in the Middle East that's next to Iraq. So my family. Um, is actually Iraqi. My my dad's from Iraq, and then my mom is Lebanese and Persian. Wow. Yeah, and so I have two older brothers who are fourteen and twelve years older than me, and I'm the baby of the family. Very much an accident. Yeah. Uh, and so during the war in the eighties uh, in Iraq, they moved to Kuwait, and then I was born as an accident many wow. years later. Uh, and then in the war uh, during the 90s, we actually moved to Jordan for a year before we came to Canada when I was three years old. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So I was basically raised in Canada, very Canadian. <laughs> so I, and I hear, I hear your Canadian accent a little yeah. bit. So you'll probably hear me throw a few A's in, in there, <laughs> here and there. <laughs> I, I literally, 
all of my Canadian friends, I, I always end the sentence with A. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? A is very much an invitation to continue the conversation. So it's, oh. just, a, it's just a way for us to be polite. So, so I'm quite proud of it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So what is So what would be your native language then? Oh, good question. You don't um, even know. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's such a mix. Yeah. Originally, it would have been Arabic. Okay. And then when we first moved to Canada, we actually lived in Quebec initially. So French was my second language. And then oh. the French was too hard for my parents. So we moved to Toronto and then I learned English. So, wow. Yeah. So but do you I speak say, any? Yeah, I speak Arabic and I speak a little bit of French, but I'm most comfortable with English. That's um yeah <laughs> me too i i can relate <laughs> yeah you get my feelings yeah yeah so you know interestingly enough my wife speaks fluent french she studied oh, in paris and yeah oh. like, yeah i i speak none none zero i can't even like count in french or anything so oh, shame. you have to learn some pickup lines ken come on you have to like woo <laughs> your wife here she'd appreciate that i'm sure yeah i just go to google translate and <laughs> you know what next time you see her just say hello ma chérie and she'll she'll giggle and love it so yeah. So, so, so you ended up and, and how old were you when you guys moved to Canada? Eh? So I was three. <laughs> nice. I saw that little slip. In there. Yeah, um, I that. yeah. So I, I was three years old. Um, my, my oldest brother was 18 and then the, the wow. younger brother was 16. So that's yeah. a huge difference. It is. Yeah. That's. I'm, I when I say I'm an accident, it's like not at all an exaggeration. Wow. Yeah. So you were three years old. You moved to Canada, um, and yeah. what, how old were you by the time you landed in Toronto? Uh, I would have been like four. Oh, okay. So you yeah. weren't. In, so I grew up in... pretty much in in um, in Toronto, and then I moved around a lot. Actually, so when I was sixteen, I, I moved to. Um, Ottawa because I was getting bullied a lot um, for wearing like the hijab and I was in a very kind of um, uh, rural part of Toronto because I was up north uh, yeah. initially in, the, in a place called Markham which is now developed significantly um, and then uh, I went abroad actually I lived in a bunch of different places, but we can get to that a little bit later. And then I just lived in Vancouver for five years, and now I'm back in Toronto. But you it was lived in Vancouver for five years. Yeah, that's on the other side, that's like yeah. you might as well move back to Kuwait. I mean, it's <laughs> a long way. Trust me, it was very intentional to move out there, and it's sort oh, of part of the the whole story, actually. Yeah. So it's yeah, beautiful when, up there, though Vancouver. Is, that whole have you been? Well, I've been, I lived in Seattle for a year. Okay, so yeah. very similar. I mean, yeah, kind of people like would go up to Vancouver on the weekends just for fun. I never did, but I, I heard it's just amazing up there. It is. Yeah. yeah. BC, Alberta, the whole West coast is, is absolutely like breathtaking. So yeah. highly recommend it for anyone who wants a little bit of tourism when yeah. COVID is yeah, right. taking over the world. Yeah. So, so you, you, um, you ended up out there for five years. You moved back to Toronto. Yeah. Um, and what now during this stretch 
what were you, were you employed or just independently wealthy? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I wish. Um, no, I was working in film. I, I moved out there to, to work in film after I had been living abroad. So essentially, my story kind of starts way back, almost um, like in 2010 at this point. Okay. Um, and so when we met, we actually met uh, in the clubhouse room and it was asking what is your like paycheck moment that yeah. moment where you kind of say you know what I'm done and it creates a significant change in your life so I had a few of those um, moments that were kind of one after the other but over a little bit of a span of time and um, talk it talk a little bit about because and the reason I want you to talk about this is it's, yeah. it's unbelievably common. Um, talk about the bullying stuff that you went through and 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 how you dealt with that. Sure, yeah. So um, it was very strange for me because initially when we moved to Toronto, I lived in a very urban part of Toronto that was very, 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 very multicultural. Yeah. And then... Uh, I ended up moving to a suburb up north and it was very Caucasian. And at the time I was very spiritual. My mom and my dad are actually quite liberal. My dad drinks, my mom used to wear like mini skirts back in her day um, in Iraq, like very, very wow. liberal. But then my, my uh, oldest brother was quite conservative and I myself was very spiritual and I felt in that period of my life that I wanted to be closer to God. And so I made the independent decision for myself to wear the hijab, um, which is the, the headscarf yeah. uh, in high school. And because it was a very Caucasian kind of neighborhood, it I just ended up getting bullied. And my mom didn't want me to wear it. She was completely against it, but I felt, yeah, she was ironically enough, but I oh, wow. wanted to be judged for who I was on the inside and not what I looked like. Essentially. Yeah. I wanted people when they, when they spoke to me to, to not judge me based on, on my appearance. I wanted them to strictly judge me on what I was saying and what I had to offer um, verbally. And one thing led to another and uh, I just, got very, very bullied. So I decided wow. to move to Ottawa where my oldest brother was living at the time and um, kind of transition into another area where I thought I would be more accepted and I was, um, but it was also very difficult living with him because he was very conservative and very strict and I wasn't really used to that because my parents were a, a little bit more liberal. Although sure. They're, they definitely have cultural expectations of, you know, how a girl is supposed to be and what she's supposed to do and dress and all of that good stuff. Sure. Um, but I was always very sort of independent minded, even from a young age, regardless of if, it, if I was making a decision to be conservative or to go the opposite way, which is what I ended up doing <laughs> a little bit later on. I've been on your Instagram page. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's two extremes really. But I honestly, like at the end of the day, I just know that I have to pursue what I feel is right. Right. At that time. And that's always been my main priority. What, what do I believe is the right thing to do? And then that's what I go for. 
Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean like bullying, it just, it is what it is. I feel like as long as you know who you are on the inside, the bullying is a, is a, is a side effect that you're like, one of the things uh, that I pointed out in that clubhouse talk is the fact that you're never going to make everybody happy. You just have to pursue and follow kind of your own beliefs. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I personally would much rather be surrounded by people who I don't agree with, but I respect because they know what they believe than people who don't believe anything at all. And will just kind of sway with whoever they're with. That is very scary. Um, so yeah, I've always been a, a huge advocate of like really kind of figuring out who you are, what you believe in, and then sticking to that because it's it's really important to to know your values, your core values, your core principles, and and all that good stuff. Because without that, who are you? Really? Right, right. Uh, I agree. Yeah. So I suppose that's sort of where it all started. I always knew for my whole life that I wanted to change the world in one way or another. And so from a very young age, I had started organizations like Kids Helping Kids from as young as like fifth grade. And then, you know, that continued to progress throughout, um, you know, high school and then college and, and so on yeah. and so forth. And I had been studying to become a human rights lawyer for basically like that was my dream from elementary school i wanted to be a human rights lawyer and i ended up in university i studied human rights and law and then we were at the supreme court there was a there was a case that i had been following and it got all the way to the supreme court and so i ended up attending the the case the trial sorry And I went into the trial thinking, this is what I'm going to do with my life. We're going to set a precedent. This is amazing. I'm so excited. And going into the case, that was my expectation. And then coming out of the case, I realized how biased our justice system was. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, what am I going to do with my life? This, This system is broken. And because there is, there's clear discrimination, there's clear bias. And if this was anybody else that looked any other type of way, um, you know, the case was about a 15 year old boy who was basically held in Guantanamo Bay and tortured for over a decade at 15. Um, Wow. And the the case had just not uh, basically progressed. And our prime minister at the time was um, Stephen Harper, and he just didn't want to do anything about it. And it was it was a huge shame. Um, and Amnesty International was there, and UNICEF was there, and they were all sort of advocating for this kid, and nothing really happened. So wow, yeah, that was the point in my life where I kind of thought to myself, what am I going to do? I can't be a human rights lawyer. It's too slow. There's too much corruption. There's too much discrimination. I need to find a quicker way, a better way, a more effective way. And that's when I decided to kind of shift into pop culture and entertainment. And at the time, I- How old would you have been at that point? 20? Yeah, 20, 2021. And you decided to shift into entertainment and pop culture, which I don't even know what that means. What's pop culture? Yeah. So, okay. So essentially at that time when I was in university, uh, I was part of a student group called Students and Extreme Poverty. And we had founded this organization where um, during our student union elections, we 
basically submitted this levy referendum asking students to give $3 per semester to go towards villages in sub-Saharan Africa to fund them on this like 10-year program that allowed them to become self-sustainable within 10 years. And it was through uh, Jeffrey Sachs's organization, Millennium Promise. And Jeffrey Sachs is the advisor to the UN Secretary General on the Sustainable Development Goals. So wow. he has an organization called Millennium Promise. And we said, well, we want to support the SDGs. They were the MDGs at that point. Um, and so, yeah, we wanted to fund this village in sub-Saharan Africa. We, wow. at the time, had done it in partnership. I went to Carleton University, and then we had done it in partnership with the University of Ottawa. And we used the diffusion model. So if you do, you know Malcolm Gladwell? I've heard the name. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So he's an incredible journalist, author. He wrote yeah. the book, The Tipping Points. And in The Tipping Point, he described yeah. the diffusion model, yeah. uh, like the early adapters, all of that stuff. You need to get sure. to 15% to kind of create this uh, rollover effect and get everybody else on. So we use the same strategies to get this levy passed at Carleton. Um, and thankfully, we did it very successfully. Wow. Um, and then unfortunately at the University of Ottawa, they didn't do it quite as effectively as we did. And so they weren't successful. But then in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, if I was Kim Kardashian right now, and I walked into this university and I was like, hey guys, like, you know, you should vote for this. Everyone, unfortunately, would most likely follow suit and follow the pop culture and yeah. do that thing. So yeah. Um, at the time, I, I did the calculation and I had realized that if we get this uh, levy into every uh, post-secondary institute across Canada, we could raise a quarter of a billion dollars wow. uh, within five years, which would save like somewhere like 500,000 lives. And Sub-Saharan Africa, you have to understand, is literally like the difference between life and death, starvation and, and, and not starvation. Um so we passed it and it became institutionalized into our school. And so wow. now every year we raise over $150,000. We've raised well over a million and it's, it continues every year, which is wow. why it's, it's sustainable fundraising. That's very yeah. effective. Um, That's and so incredible. That my goal, my goal became to raise this quarter of a billion dollars yeah. And how, how was I going to do that? Well, I needed to travel across Canada. I needed to uh, meet all of the students. I needed funding. I was 20 years old. I was broke. I like, I mean, I, yeah. I was a kid, yeah. but I had this vision, had this purpose. I knew I had to do it. And I knew I needed a platform, a pop culture platform, because I knew that's what kids my age at the time would re respond to. And so essentially I decided to run for Miss Universe Canada, which I thought at the time was the best idea ever because I'm like, okay, well, you get to literally, you know, preach this whole, what do you want? Well, I want world peace. I'm like, okay, that's nice, but how are you going to do it? Well, here's the strategy. Right, so, right. Um, so, yeah, so that became my mission. And, wow. but again, because I'm, I come from a, a Middle Eastern Muslim background. It's very, very, very taboo to talk about doing something like that. Yeah. And so I decided that I was going to, to try and get in. And I kept it completely secret from my family until the point where 
I knew that I had been accepted to run in, yeah. in the actual Miss Universe pageants. And what happens is if you if you win, then you get to spend the year kind of traveling across uh, the country uh, and, and bring on any initiative that you wanted to. So I knew that this is what I had wanted to do. Yeah. And when I when I got the acceptance, that's when I had to kind of, you know, tell tell my family that this is my intention. So I was terrified. I went to my I went to my parents and I essentially told them, listen, this is what I want to do. This is my goal. And this is how I'm going to do it. And they literally looked at me and said, if you do this, you are no longer our daughter. This will bring shame to our family. This is not something because it, what part the bikini part yeah like walking wow. around in a bikini on in front stage. of a billion people on television yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly because you're essentially that's like walking around in lingerie to them exposing oh. yourself and wow. uh you know for me having like internally been very spiritual and like having worn the hijab when i was younger yeah um I definitely, it, it didn't align with kind of where I was at in right. my life. Like it wasn't my intention to like walk around in a bikini and strap my stuff. No, right. my intention was, okay, well, I need to have a platform and this is part of the platform and this is just a means to an end for me. To so do was, something wonderful like end starvation in Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. So that was a concept that, you know, my family didn't quite get. Uh, right. I didn't quite understand kind of the intention behind it. They were way more concerned about my reputation and how our community would look at me. And they, they, they were very, very genuinely concerned about that. And so they were basically trying to put the fear of God into me to not do this. Wow. And so I had to look at them and I had to look at myself and I had to really ask myself, like, is this worth it? And, and like, is this something that I can do? Because I, I essentially have to make, the choice of sacrificing my family for the potential of saving these lives. Yeah. And so that was just a, a no brainer for me. So I told them, I'm sorry, but the potential to, to do this and be successful at it is too great for me to not try. Yeah. And so at the very least, I'll be raising awareness about how this can happen. And even if I don't win, then, then I'll, I'll still have succeeded because I'll have been able to spread the word about it. So, so you said, I, you said, let's, let's make this clear for the audience. You said, bye family. <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. I pretty, yeah, pretty much. I said, wow. sorry guys. I hope one day you'll understand, but this is something that I have to do. You and then know, it, it that's, awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. I, my, Hey, I, I think that's amazing. Well, it, yeah, it, it was really scary. It was really scary. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy either because you have to pay somewhere. I think it was $2,500 at the time. And for a 20 year old student, that was a lot of money. And yeah. I had, I didn't have it. And my parents didn't, um, they weren't going to give it to me. So I ended up harassing, you guys have the shark's tank down yeah. In, uh, in the States, we have the dragons den. Okay. So I ended up harassing one of the dragons over and over and over and over again. 
just like spamming the crap out of this poor guy. Wow. <laughs> his, uh, his assistant kind of, uh, she, she took notice, took pity on me and made sure that he saw it. And then I got a phone call basically saying that he'd sponsor me and, and pay for my entrance. You go. That is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. It was, yeah, it was really cool. And then he got like a, a jewelry designer uh, that he had invested in to sponsor my my jewelry for the pageant. And wow. it all kind of fell into place. And I'm still um, in contact with him to this day. Brett Wilson, you're amazing. Thank you so much for always supporting me. Um, awesome. Yeah. So I ended up doing the pageant. I became a finalist. Um, wow. And then I then I had to come home. <laughs> to, and to my parents, to my family. Yeah. And it was this constant kind of like rhetoric of, you know, only whores do things like this. And, you know, it, it was like a lot of tension, a lot of tension in the house. And so I ended up um, moving out, I ended up moving in with one of my um, best friends who is a Chinese Mormon girl, actually. And funny enough, her like her family was so supportive. And, and your your parents I, have to be flipping shit at this point. Pardon my language, but no, they, have to be they like, were, I, you know, like it, they. I I just couldn't be in that environment anymore. Yeah, it sure. For me, so yeah. I, I had to leave. I had to leave. And, and so you're how? Twenty one, twenty two. Yeah, okay. twenty one at this point. And so I ended up moving in with her family, who took me in, and then she ended up moving away to the states. And I uh, ended up getting into television broadcasting at that point. That's when I decided, okay, well, I don't want to be controlled by the media. I want to control the media. Um, wow. so that's when I got into the production side of, of media and, and got accepted into a, a television program in Toronto. Um, and then my, my parents had actually, uh, co-signed my, my lease in Toronto. They were living in Ottawa at the time. My whole family was living in Ottawa. They co-signed my, my lease in Toronto to do this television program. Hold, hold on. How, how do you, so your parents are really upset with you. Very dis upset with me. Yeah. Disappointed, whatever the word yeah. is. And you convinced them to co-sign for a lease. I was still paying for it, but yeah, I need it. I'm like, I need, I need this. I need to live somewhere and I need this wow. co-sign. So wow. they co-signed it. They were, yeah. Like my brother, my oldest brother wasn't talking to me at all. Um, it's been 10 years. Like we, we, we still, anyways, I'll get to that. But yeah. so, yeah, so they had co-signed the lease. I had gone through this, I was doing this program and then, um, a couple years into it, I still hadn't spoken to my brother. Tensions were still high with, um, you know, my, my family. And I was visiting my, uh, family in Ottawa this one weekend and, um, I basically approached my brother and I was like, listen, like, why do you hate me so much? Like, why, why are you so angry at me? Like, what is going on? Right. And he just kind of exploded. And he's like, well, it's not just me. You should hear what your brother says about you. And then he said some really hurtful things. And then things just sort of escalated. And then he ended up headbutting me, like physically headbutting me. Oh, my God. Um, and at that point, that was my paycheck moment where 
like for the past couple of years where I had been wanting to redeem myself and had been yeah. wanting to gain their acceptance and had been wanting to kind of show them that like, look, I'm a good person. I I did this for the right reasons. And I was trying so hard to gain their approval. And then at that moment, I realized, you know what? You're never, ever going to make everybody happy. Wow. You're never going to gain everybody's acceptance. You're never going to be what other people want you to be. You just have to do you, period, no matter what. And so, yeah. And so that's, that was my like, okay, I'm done. I don't need your approval anymore. I am, I, I, I'm, I'm out essentially. So I left that minute i was like this is going to escalate to like a place i don't want it to get to i'm leaving hold so, it this this is the moment that your brother headbutted you like correct. in the head yeah yeah like physically that, like did it not did it it was like slow motion it happened so like essentially we were going back and forth in this like heated conversation and then i took the chair in front of me and i was like i banged it on the floor and i was like this is my home as in, you can't make me feel this way. Right. And then he got up, took the chair, flung it, charged at me, and then headbutted me. And he's like, this is my home. And I was like, okay, I'm done. So I took my stuff, got in the car, drove back to Toronto, and decided right there and then, I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm done trying to prove myself. I'm done trying to like be a part, be someone I'm not. Right. If you can't accept me for me, and if you can't see with your eyes and with your heart that everything that I'm doing is with good intention, right. that's not my problem. That's on you. And so, um, I, and then, I, you know, I love my, that. yeah. And like the, the sad part is, and, you know, bless her heart, like my mom is the most loving woman in the world, but the simple fact of the matter and what I've told her in the past is, I know you love me. I know you want the best for me, but you also love my brother because he's also your son. And so yeah. you like, she will protect him just as much as she will protect me, but she cannot protect me from him. So that's right. where there's an issue. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah. So at the time I was very angry, very hostile, very young, very naive, very confused, uh, and I basically decided to cut off my entire family. I said, I'm done. I'm no, like, I, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm no, wow. that was the point where I said to them, I'm no longer your daughter. You're all dead to me, essentially. <laughs> I, I was very hostile. And at that part of my life, I was like super angry, super angry. Oh. I, I just, I was sick. I was fed up. Yeah. And so, and very stubborn to this day. So when my I, I would never guess that that. Here, sorry, I said I would never guess that. I'm, I'm I know, right? It's shocking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So then, so when my lease ran up for that year, uh, I didn't get my parents to re-co-sign because I said I'm done. So I actually ended up living out of my car, and I was homeless. But I was still going to school. I was still uh, working part time. In the television, program. yeah, in the, in the exactly in the television program, and then it got to like winter, 
and winter in Canada is not a fun experience. You don't want to live in your car in Canada in the middle of the winter. No, no, you do not. No, you do not. So, As a, a finalist for Miss Universe. Wow. Irony. Yeah, I know. I know. Wow. So um, I ended up, it got to a point where it was like just unbearable, the cold. And I was uh, like, I had a gym membership at the school. So I would like take showers there and, oh and my God. all of that stuff. And um, uh, yeah. Did you not have friends that like had a cow? Proud. I was too, well, this, uh, when it got too, too cold, what I had told one of um, my like family friends, I said that my roommate was bringing home boys and I felt very uncomfortable. Your, Mor your Mormon roommate. Not my Mormon roommate. No, oh. like I had a roommate, and like I, I just made up some story for them to feel bad for me, and I ended up um, staying with some family friends for a little while. Wow! And then, uh, but I, I felt like I was mooching, and it just didn't feel right. Yeah. And I think psychologically, because I was so stubborn, and because I didn't want to feel like I was limited in yeah. in any way, shape, or or form, I, I got it in my mind that I'm going to accomplish the unaccomplishable. And so I decided that I was going to meet Richard Branson and I was going to share with him my world changing ideas. And, um, at 20, 22 at this point, 22, 23. Or I'm going to, I, I've, I've been a finalist for Miss universe. I'm saving starving children in Africa <laughs> And now we're going to go hook up with, with Richard Branson and say yeah. what's up. Yeah. Okay. So long story short, I'm technically not allowed to talk about it. Um, I, I got an invite to Richard Branson's Necker Island. And um, I wasn't allowed to talk about it. But then the week afterwards, uh, he had posted a photo from his connector trip. And so what his connector trips are, are essentially he brings together like millionaires, billionaires with Oxford University professors and world changers and um, they share ideas and then hopefully there's potential for funding. And, and you wow. need like to even be there, you need to have at least thirty five to sixty five thousand dollars to rent either the catamaran or or one of the villas on, on his island. Um, so anyways, I got an invite to have dinner there. <laughs> And um, and how did you pay for the plane ticket to get there? Yeah, well, I was working at the time, and I was living in the car, and then I was living <laughs> with the family friends. But I was I was working part time, and I was going to school, and and I had just saved up. I think the ticket was like under a thousand dollars. I had found the ticket, and there is something called Couchsurfing.org. <laughs> It's an organization, and you basically—it was the best time of my life, Ken. I have oh to my God, Zara, this you don't is even understand. You, wow. I have some stories from Tortola Island that you would not believe. I'm talking like, yeah, like we we stayed with this um this couch surfer on Tortola Island who literally her and her friends they rented boats and we went like island hopping from island to island in the caribbean we ended up on this like giant ship in the middle of the ocean that like <laughs> so crazy yeah and then in the middle of that um 
Oh my there God. There are ways to do anything. Miracles can happen. If you set your mind to anything, anything can happen. As long as you don't have the mindset of, well, it needs to be this way. It needs to be like a specific way. Yeah. I literally, when, even when we got to Necker um, Island, cause I had invited my, one of my best friends at the time, um, in order to get to Necker Island, you have to go from Tortola Island, which is the main airplane island. Yeah. to Virgin Gorda, which is the island next to Tortola Island. And then from yeah. Virgin Gorda is where you you get the you get like a private boat that takes you to Necker. And all of the the hotels on Virgin Gorda are like a thousand plus. Like a night expensive yeah 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 wow. so me and my friend were like we grabbed like a sheet and we're like we're just gonna sleep on the beach like it's all good point is we just need to get to necker island and like it's you know like that's what it's gonna be like it's gonna happen so that happened and i just felt kind of invincible and i was still in my last semester of school at that point and i decided that um wait 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 before you move on you you said that happened. You had dinner with Richard Branson. I did, yeah. And a conversation, and that's, that's oh my god. Okay, <laughs> so you're not allowed to talk about the details of it, then? No, unfortunately. Dang, Zara. Well, you go I mean, against like, the I can, grain. I, I mean, I can. The only thing that I can say is that I was there and I got to express kind of my projects and I connected with a, a bunch of really great people. Um, I just can't kind of give the details on sort of how it kind of unfolded. Sure. But of course I can talk about it because he literally posted a picture the next week and then all my friends saw it on LinkedIn and they're like, why didn't you tell us? I'm like, I, I wasn't allowed to say anything. Right. Um, but thanks Richard for posting that photo. Otherwise it would have been a, you know, an urban myth. Not, well, Rich, uh, Richard watches my show daily. So oh, does he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't I know. Never know. You never yeah. know. If no. you do, Richard, I'd like to have you on the show. So anyway. <laughs> this was a long time ago. He probably doesn't even remember, but I have the proof. Thanks yeah. to him. Thank That's you, Richard. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So at that point, I I really just kind of knew that I could do anything that I set my mind to. I accomplished, yeah. you know, the impossible. And I literally had called it mission possible. Um, and he, anyways, there's a whole like thing around it. But um, yeah. So after that, I, I obviously couldn't continue mooching off of these people for like the rest of the semester. So I finished what I could and I decided to go couch surfing um, in Europe. So I found the cheapest ticket to, uh, I think it was Spain. Initially, I found like a $700 ticket to Spain. Right. And I went to Spain and literally for the next month, I, me and one of my really good friends, we went couch surfing. So literally didn't spend a penny on accommodation. Um, and because we were staying at people, yeah, couchsurfing.org is the most incredible. It's like Airbnb, but instead of um, like random people that are taking money from you, it's people from these countries that want to have a cultural experience. So they invite people from different parts of the world and then you share recipes, you share language, they show you 
the cities that you're traveling to from a local's point of view. Um, it's an inc- And even if you don't want to stay with them, I've when I was living in South Africa, uh, there was a couch surfer who was very well off, but still connected with other couch surfers. And then they would like travel together and, and explore essentially together. And at this point though, are you still wearing the, the, no, no, this was like long gone. I had taken it off. Uh, What's it called again? Uh, hijab. Hijab. Okay. Yeah. So you were not, you were not. I wearing. got bullied. Yeah. Like I got bullied too. So when I got bullied, it was really bad. And that's when I moved um, to Ottawa to live with my brother. Okay. And I got so much respect at that point. Um, but it was really hard living with him because yeah. he was so conservative that yeah. when I came back to Toronto, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take it off. Yeah. And because I can't deal with the with the bullying. So I decided yeah. to take it off and I just I knew at that point that it didn't matter if I was wearing it or if I wasn't wearing it, like it was whatever was in my heart that was going to determine kind of yeah. how I present myself and yeah. I also knew that not wearing it wouldn't isolate me as much. There's right. a lot of people that will disregard you because you're wearing it and that was sort of the opposite. Sure of what I was trying to accomplish. At the end of the day, my intention was to be um, judged for who I was on the inside and what I had to say as opposed to what I looked like. And either way, it was it was a losing battle. So I was like, you know what, let me just be um, easily digestible to like everybody so that it, I'm not isolating. Got it, yeah. So um, now you're in you're in Spain, you're, you're couch surfing. I'm couch surfing through Spain, yeah. Wow. And then, um, we were in Italy and then I, I I was broke again. So I called my credit card company. I'm like, Hey, um, did my credit card run out? Or, uh, is this like, did you put like a, a fraud hold on this? And they're like, no, no, you've, you've run out of money, but your credit is good. So we can like up your, um, oh. Your credit limit, and I'm like, I'm rich. Like, let's do that. <laughs> I was really young, really stupid. I had no sense of like financial yeah. responsibility whatsoever. Right. So I decided, you know what? Like, I had never been allowed to travel. I had never been allowed to do sort of anything. And I, after my brother headbutted me, I made the decision. I'm like, that's it. I'm living life for myself. I'm going to do everything that I was never allowed to do. And I'm not going to ask for permission anymore. And it was the most liberating feeling ever. Even living in my car, that was the most liberating moment of my life because I no longer had the constraints of my community, my religion, my family. There was no expectations. It was me, myself, and I. I started my nonprofit organization. I started my uh, business at the time. Like It it was just everything Um, was happening because I all of a sudden had like no limits. Like there was just nothing to hold me back. Nothing and and, and you had, you had started this television program thing, but you, so you, at this point in Italy, oh you're, my God. you're not working. No, no, I'm not working. I'm literally living off of like my credit card. And like, I, I would go to the grocery store and we'd have like tuna cans and, and we'd bring like the tuna back to the person's place. And that was yeah. like, we were living on a hardcore budget. You are you now hold a record for um for my show for for breakthrough walls. Um, you're the only person in 330 some odd interviews to say after my brother headbutted me. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> Nobody else has ever said that on this show. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it happened. You know, and I know, I, I know. I know. Against him. Like, uh, he, well, yeah, like I'll, I'll get to that too. But yeah. The, it just, it, it is what it is. At the end yeah. of the day, like, he went through a lot of stuff on his own, and uh, he we was... We all do. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I had a lot of time to reflect on that, sure. essentially. Sure. So, yeah. So, basically, from there, I decided, you know what, like, let's up the credit limits, and let me, let me continue traveling, because this has been a dream of mine for forever. Right. And um, I ended up want so all of the places that I wanted to go when I was studying international development. So like Thailand, Bangkok has a huge sex trafficking industry. India, there's so much poverty and the, they've got the biggest slums in the world. Yeah. Um, South Africa, I've always wanted to go to South Africa and I had already um, uh, been to South Africa once before prior uh, where I had started my nonprofit the first time. And we had raised money for um, an organization called the Etzefani Trust that helped women and children affected by HIV and AIDS. And so um, right. when I was traveling, I ended up going to Thailand. I worked in an orphanage over there. And when I was in Thailand, I actually started modeling. A friend of mine was there uh, and I had been staying with her and she was staying at this modeling agency. And so that became the, the next way that I was funding myself. I, I, they had signed me to the agency because I was already there. And then that's how I got into India. And then that's how I got into South Africa. I just started modeling, essentially. And then that and paid, that, and that paid money. Yeah, so I was gonna say, how much did they raise your credit limit? My God! Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, this is a good thing, and a lot of people think to be a model, you need to be a certain height and and all of these things, and that's a complete myth. It is that in the states, and it is that in Canada, but internationally, they actually want curvier people. They want shorter people. It, it there's not, it's not as strict. So yeah. I was essentially. Um, using modeling to pay for my travels. And then at the same time, I was, uh, again, volunteering for the orphanage. Uh, in India, I was trying to teach English to, you know, the natives there. And I'm a native English speaker. So I was trying to do that. Um, and then I got to, when I was in India, that's when Nelson Mandela had died. Mm. And the first time that I was in South Africa, I was actually supposed to meet Nelson Mandela back in 2011 and that ended up falling through and when he died I felt so heartbroken mm -hmm. that I knew that I had to go back so I decided that I was going to go back to South Africa wow and I went back by the way India was one of the most incredible experiences in my life that's when I like got drunk for the first time I, I had my first boyfriend like a lot of things happened in South Africa or in India that um just would never have happened anywhere else. I, I lived with, with, uh, you know, like men and women and it was just a, a huge learning experience. I really kind of learned a lot about who I was. Were you now, did you travel all over India or was it one particular? It was Mumbai and it was Bangalore. Okay. And then, yeah. So I, I got, but like, I mean, Mumbai is massive. India's yeah. huge yeah. country. Yeah. So I got to see a, a lot of, um, 
the the main areas of Mumbai, and yeah. then Bangalore was the other big city that I traveled to. I have I have programmers in in Bangalore actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, a I've seen and and I'm sure that I'm I've seen videos on YouTube of the traffic, and I'm like. Right. The traffic that comes with the cows and like it's it's, it's insane. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like it's we not don't like even... anything else yeah. you'll ever experience for sure. I think everyone should go to India at least once in their life, and then they'll forever appreciate clean air, clean roads, um, and like yeah, not living amongst so much poverty. Um, but yeah, I ended up in South Africa after that, and that. It was at that point that I really finally felt like I was healing. And I woke up one morning and I realized, you know what? I'm I'm ready to really pursue development again. I'm re I'm ready to be very intentional about it. Yeah. And so it became my next goal, not to meet Nelson Mandela, obviously because he had passed away, but to meet Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who had won the Nobel Peace Prize along with Nelson Mandela for helping to end apartheid. Yeah. And I re literally remember waking up one morning and feeling like, yes, I am now ready. This is, I'm, I feel healed. And I had done a lot of reflection and, you know, about my brother and realized that he had gone through a lot of PTSD. He had come through two wars, not one, comes to Canada at 18, had to basically, he was the person that my parents relied on to make all the decisions because he learned English quickest. And so on an 18 year old to have that much pressure to have two younger siblings that he had to take care of, it's a lot of pressure. And then he married an Israeli Jewish girl, which was a lot of pressure coming from an Arab Muslim family. And so Jeez. I know. So I became sort of like a scapegoat for him. There was a lot that he was going through that yeah. I then at that point, years later, kind of recognized, you know what, he it had nothing to do with me. It was him deflecting his own pain and stuff onto me. Not that that's an excuse. No, right, right. I understood where it was coming from and I forgave him, but I'm obviously wasn't going to tolerate it. And sure. happy story, fast forward 10 years. Last year was actually the first time ever that he apologized and recognized that how he was was not right. Wow. Um, not that we have a great relationship now, but the fact that he's acknowledged that what he had done was wrong is massive considering yeah. it took a decade. Um, so, you know, I have empathy for him. Yeah. And anyway, so I'm in South Africa. I've healed at this point. I feel like I've healed at this point. And I'm like, yes, this is, I, I need to meet Desmond Tutu. Yeah. And I pick up with the phone. I call the organization like, Hey, I want to, I'd like to set up a meeting with Desmond Tutu. They basically laugh in my face like, <laughs> right. email, hang up. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm going to send you an email. I think it was a Thursday at this point or a Wednesday at this point. Right. And I'm like, I'll, I'll email them on the weekend and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Next day I'm at this model casting. Um, it takes longer than expected. I finish. And I call my taxi driver. I had one taxi driver that would always drive me around. Yeah. It was it was safer that way. South Africa can be dangerous. And so it's always good to have like someone reliable. Yeah. So I call the driver to come pick me up. And then five minutes later, instinctually, I call him back and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take the bus. It's okay, don't come. And I start walking randomly. 
I come up onto this massive protest and I had no idea what it was about. So I stand by and I'm listening and it's about saving the great white lion. And I'm like, this is a lovely cause, but it's not one that I know enough about for me to be that interested in it. So I was going to go home. So I look down at my phone. I start GPSing the closest bus stop. They introduce the next speaker. And who is it? Desmond Tutu. Desmond Tutu's daughter, who is the CEO of his organization. And now you're like, okay, I'm all about saving this white lion. No, I start (laughs) bawling. I literally start bawling because it was like the heavens parted and started singing. And I'm crying like a big the woman next to me looks over. She's like, it's okay. We'll save the white lion. It's fine. And I'm like, yeah, that's what we'll do. Yes, sure. I'm like, oh, my God. How do I even explain this? Oh, my God. So this protest happens. I wait. I stalk this poor woman. And I get to her. And um, I, and I'm bawling. I'm like, listen, I like you have to believe in God. Like, this, this happened for a reason. I needed to meet you. I literally just called the organization and I wanted to set up a meeting with you. Like I I, want to change the world. And she's like, okay, let's set up a meeting. She ends up booking me for a half day meeting that day. Yeah. I call the organization. They're not getting back to me. They're not getting back to me. She gave me her cell phone and the organization's number. I finally call her cell phone on the Sunday. And I'm like, listen, were you serious about wanting to meet me? Because I'm not having any luck. She's like, yeah, just come into the office. I'm like, okay. The next morning I go into the office and everyone at the office, they're like, how did you get this meeting? We can't even get a half day meeting with her. How did you get this meeting with her? I, I literally just did that. I'm like, right. Archbishop Desmond too. y'all have to believe in God. Like, there's only one. Wow. And I went in there with uh, a 10-page document with the title, How to Change the World. <laughs> oh, my God. And that you wrote. Um, yeah, yeah, that I wrote. And I was like, here you go. This is These are my intentions. This is what I believe in. This is what I want to do. Right. And she's like, okay, let's do it. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, let's do it. She's like, we have an annual symposium. And let's do this. And and how old are you at this point? This was 2013. So I was like 24. Oh, my gosh. 24, wow. 25, turning 25 that year. And wow. So she, so she basically said like, let's do this. Um, and they basically hired me to organize, create, develop, and then facilitate their annual symposium, which was happening the next October. So they flew me back the next October. And where, what country were was this? Where did this all happen? South South Africa. Yeah. When I went into the office, he ended up coming in and we ended up having tea and with uh, Desmond Tutu. Yeah. 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 Who's the funniest man. He was a stand up comic in another life. Like, (laughs) is the funniest man you'll ever meet. And it's so, like, his timing is just unbelievable. And his jokes are. I, like he he like says dirty jokes and it takes you so off like it, it completely throws you off because you're like oh, did he just say that like it's oh my so god funny. it's so funny he's amazing like I'm 
obsessed with him. I love him so much. Wow. Um, yeah. So that being said, it, it's kind of like the three things that I said in Clubhouse, the three lessons that I that I gave in Clubhouse was number one, you're never going to make everybody happy and you're mm. never going to gain any everybody's acceptance. You're just not. You right. have to know what you believe in and you have to um, be true to yourself and be authentic to yourself. And when you do that, miracles happen and you're going to align with the people, the right kinds of people um, that will help you achieve your goals and your dreams. Number two, make judgments based on you what you believe in and not what your community believes in. There's so many people who are living life based on this sense of obligation to their community, to their family, to their religion. And, but your gut instinct is God given at yeah. the end of the day. If you believe in God or, or, or the universe or whatever, you need to understand that what your gut instincts are God given. So when a child right. is because they feel that something is wrong it's because their gut instinct is telling them that that's wrong and they know better so even if you're reading something or if you've been told something by somebody that you trust or by your religious community or by your your com like cultural community and in your heart you feel like mm, that doesn't quite sit right with me it's probably because it's not right and it's probably mm it's been interpreted incorrectly or it's been interpreted by uh, someone to to better uh, a, a lot of what we learn is based off of broken telephone and it, it's just regurgitated information from people who didn't understand what they were talking about to begin with and right. also, we're all human we all make mistakes it's nobody's business to tell anybody else how to live their life because unless you're a prophet and you're absolutely perfect and any way in every way shape and form it's nobody's business to tell you how to live your life period amen right Aim yes and then and then the last thing is to live your life in pursuit of purpose and if you don't know what your purpose is then the best way to figure that out is by serving others using the skills that you have so whatever skills you have whether it's makeup or whether it's um, medicine or if you're a coder or if you're really good at a particular thing, start by serving others using your skill sets. And I promise you, you'll find your purpose in that pursuit. And that's the only thing that's going to like really give your life fulfillment. So people, you know, people, <clears throat> there's this, um, I'm not sure how it is in Canada, eh? Um, but 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 people people you know have this. Um, I'll say a lot of younger people have this this this. They think that they need to be rich right now. Rich. I need all the money. I need the and 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 it's it's like first learn to serve. Mm. and 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 everything else kind of just falls in into place for you yeah I, I love your message zara i i told you on clubhouse that night i was like my god that that and you know your story is incredible 
Thank you so much. You know, it's funny that you say that about how young people, they, they're always like, I want to be rich right now. But what people don't realize, especially young people, and I think Instagram and all of these platforms are, are really, they're iterating the wrong message. They're yeah. iterating the message that you need to be rich in order to live richly. And that's a, a complete false farce whatever the word is like it's just not true because yeah, you're, I, you're, you're, I'm, I'm zero money completely broke and I'm like with richard branson yeah. i'm traveling the world literally like on like and it's That's not perfect. a lot of people say Oh, it's because you're a girl, or it's because of this, or it's because of that. And that's all bullshit. It's those are yeah. all excuses. If you want to do something, you will find a way. There are so many people who have couch surf that are older, that are you know in their 50s and their 60s, that are families, that have children. When you want to do something, you can do it no matter what. Yeah. And when I was traveling, I took photos, but I didn't have Instagram at the time. Like I right. took photos for myself and now I'm like, oh crap, I probably should have posted. I probably would have had, you know, like been able to monetize it or whatever. But like I was living life. I was too busy living life to actually think about this whole thing. And what my message now is like, no, you can travel in in a way that is again about serving people because the whole couch surfing thing is about sharing and it's about giving of yourself and your culture to these other people. And, and it's so much more rewarding that way. But, and now, I mean, I know what you do now, but like, talk about, um, you ended up back in Toronto and, yeah. um, you work in television now Yeah, on a television show, right? Yeah. So after I did, um, after I went back and I facilitated the, the Desmond Tutu yeah. um, symposium, I decided at that point, you know what, I really need to, I had, I felt like I was healed. I had done everything that I was never allowed to do. Um, I just, uh, and I was honestly, I was sick of living out of my backpack. I had traveled so much by that point that, thank you so much, Theodora. <laughs> um, I had traveled Before. so much by that point that I wanted now a sense of stability and I yeah. wanted now a sense of, I'm actually building my life up to where I want it to be. So I came back to Canada. I finished up my last course. So I had one credit left that I needed to finish in order to graduate. Wow. And it was a semester long. I did it in one week. I ended up staying at a friend's house. Yeah, I did it literally wow. in one week. It, it wasn't based on exams or anything. It was, we had to submit five projects. And I, every day for five days, I did a project a day and every day I submitted a different project and I ended up getting an A in the class. Wow. I uh -oh. um, moved, I drove cross country. Actually, I drove through the States from Toronto down to, I think it was like through Michigan, Chicago, went yeah. through the Dakotas up to like, like all of it. And then all the way up to Vancouver through Seattle. Wow. And um, I, before I had gone to Vancouver, I was trying to get into film in Toronto and I was finding it very difficult. I also did my internship in South Africa while I was there. So that was really fun. Um, but I was having a really hard time getting into film in Toronto. 
So I, when I was in Vancouver, I was like, I need to be smarter about this. I need to be more strategic about this. So I changed my Facebook profile photo to someone on a motorcycle. I changed my name on Facebook to Lex, as in Lex Luthor, <laughs> and then Aurelius, as in Marcus Aurelius. So <laughs> Lex Aurelius. And then there was a, a Facebook group of like uh, production assistants. And I just thought to myself, what is the cockiest thing that a man would say in this group right now to pretend like he is the person that needs to get hired? Right. And that's what I wrote. I don't oh, remember what I said at the time, but oh my God. I just threw that onto the page. And within 30 seconds, I had my first offer of my first feature film featuring um, Oscar winner, Octavia Spencer, Avatar star, Sam Worthington. <laughs> um, yeah, like on a, on a major like feature film. Wow. And uh, yeah, I got to set and they were like, Lex? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's my bowling name. It's my nickname. This is what everybody calls me. <laughs> but I knew, I knew, I was like, what's like the most badass, like scary? Oh, they thought you were a man. That was the intention. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. So you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. Was I ever afraid through all of my traveling? Um. I I can't say that I was. I'm like pretty street smart, I like to think. Like obviously there were yeah, like in in for example when I was volunteering in South Africa, um we I traveled into uh, some of the townships and the settlements, so in Durban and Johannesburg and uh there were gunmen, like military gunmen in the in these you know, townships and settlements. And that was pretty scary because I was there with like a big camera and, and you know, the the taxi driver was like, hide, hide everything, hide everything. Like, you know, like you can, but I was intentionally putting myself in that situation because I wanted to experience it firsthand and I wanted to photograph what was happening and, and get a better understanding and then, you know, find the organizations that were working within these townships and settlements in order to, to, help better understand and help better serve those communities. Um, wow. And it was an amazing experience, but generally speaking, no, because I think every, it doesn't matter if you're in Canada, if you're in Toronto, if you're in Seattle or, you know, wherever you are, there's always risks. If you're like out at a specific time by yourself, that's never a smart idea for a woman anywhere. Right. So you just have to be street smart and, and be careful. But I mean, traveling alone, I love traveling alone. I think it's the most like fun thing ever because you literally get to meet people along the way and you're not tied to anybody. I'm very social when I travel. I like meeting people. I like trying new things. And if I want to try something, I'll do it. If I don't, I don't have to do it. And I'm not tied to somebody else kind of making those decisions for me. So, yeah. Let me ask you a question. And I ask every guest a couple of questions you know this is an hour-long program i know we're at 106 i love it it's my show and it's the internet so we can go all day um but no i have appointments but anyway the you know the 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 theme of this show is is breaking through getting unstuck and i 
I love what you said about um, forgiving your brother because I I truly believe in in the power of forgiveness. But you know, what do you think? I mean, my gosh, you have have you've you've traveled the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you've couch surfed all over the world, which is freaking and, and, and the now that I'm making money, yeah, <laughs> I've mm-hmm. also experienced the other end of like very luxurious thousand dollar yeah. hotels that I've actually paid for. Right, um, right. So I still prefer couch surfing, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's You're a, a vagabond at heart. So, so, so what do you think? Because, you know, oftentimes people are born into, it doesn't matter if it's Muslim, am I saying Muslim, um, Christian, uh, Mm -hmm. Buddhist, I I don't care what religion you're born into. um, We all receive downloads of programming from the humans around us. And, and, and then most people live the rest of their lives out with this political belief, this religious sure. belief, this whatever, and they don't really go outside of that box, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Now, fear is the number one answer, so you have to do better. Um, but what do you think holds most people back from experiencing real freedom in life and and financial success and all of that? What holds people back? I think it's okay. So I actually had this conversation with, um, well, not this exact conversation, but we were talking about, okay. So I was having this conversation with this actor and we were talking about Mormons and I was telling him how one of my best friends was a Mormon. And he's like, how can you be best friends with her? How can you be best friends with her? Mormons believe that if you're not Mormon, you're going to hell. I'm like, listen, they may verbally regurgitate that rhetoric, but in their heart of hearts, I don't think they believe that that's true. And I'm telling you this to answer your question because the answer in, in what I'm saying is that people will stick to the ideologies that they're born into. Yeah. Not, it's not fear but it's the fear of losing that love. It's, it, it boils down to love. When you're born into a family, when you're born into a community, you're born into a sense of, of belonging. Right. And at, at our core, we all just want to be loved and we all just want to be accepted. And so regardless of what you're born into, that's what you're going to hold on to for dear life because at a biological level, in order for us to survive, we need to belong to a group. So for anybody to be the dissenting voice in a community is the most difficult thing because it's biologically the opposite of what we're supposed to do in order to survive. And so people will hold on to to that yeah because they don't they it's out of survival they they don't want to lose that sense of love they don't want to lose that sense of belonging and so even though they may say something or 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 do something in their heart of hearts they don't believe it and it just takes 
I think it takes a, a really pivotal moment in life or it takes for someone to experience love that is outside of the realm of what they know and that love to be more powerful than the love that they're experiencing within the realm for them to truly uh, be able to remove themselves and think for themselves and believe for themselves because that's at the core that's what that's what it was for me at the very least for me it was my sense of purpose of right. i know that i have to do good in this world and this potential to save this many lives that is right that right. is what i need to do that is more powerful to me than this sense of belonging to a community that if you're actually like in my mind i'm like if if I want you in my life. I want you to be able to understand where I'm coming from and recognize that my intentions are pure. And if you don't understand that and you still choose to judge me, then I don't want you in my life anyways. Amen. I, yeah. One of my best friends in the world is, is Mormon. And I love and the Mormon community, honestly. They're so uh, they're, the, I mean, my experience has been, this is one, he's one of the nicest human beings, kindest yeah. human beings I've ever known in my life. And I think that, that it, it, I don't, you know, I don't know that much about the Mormon faith. I mean, he talks, you know, I ask questions and he, um, because I'm always curious, you know, and I think yeah. that people, people are afraid of what they don't understand. And so mm -hmm. because of that fear, they judge it and and yeah. then put up these these blocks that 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 prevent them from understanding, just like the Muslim beliefs and 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 anything else. So totally, you know, I I, 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 think, think, I think like rhetoric like that can be said about every single religion. Everything if that's what you choose to focus on. Exactly. But at the end of the day, we're all human and we're all built the same, and we yeah. all love the same and care for our families the same and want the best for the people that we love. And that's what it comes down to. And that's where people connect, truly connect. Yes. And I'm very grateful to you know be from Toronto because it is one of the most multicultural it is the most multicultural city in the world where we're not just expected to be Canadian and that's that we're Arab Canadian, Chinese Canadian, Russian Canadian, whatever it is, Canadian. And we really celebrate our differences and we celebrate bringing in our culture and our religion and our traditions. And, and we embrace the best parts of that. And we share that with one another. And that's what makes us better. Um, I, I love I love that. I love culture. I love religion. I love getting to know about people and, and what makes them family and what makes them um, a community because there's so much we can learn from one another. That's amazing. So, you know, I, um, I, I lived in Seattle. I was homeless. I slept in my car in Seattle. You were. Yeah. Oh, well then we've got and, something in common. Yeah. Um, I've been homeless a couple of few times, but anyway, we won't go into that. But I, I, I think that, you know, there's been moments in my life where I was like, this is it. It's over. The world is coming to an end. Mm -hmm. I'm literally never going to recover from this. And, and so, you know, during 2020, we faced a lot of global craziness Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, I, I think that there's a lot of people that, I mean, suicide rate went through the roof and, um, you know, yeah. for the people who are 
you know, maybe their car's been repossessed, their electric's being shut off, they don't have enough money to buy food. Um, what do you say to that person that's hanging on by a tiny little thread to life right now and they don't feel any hope at all and all is lost? What do you say to help that person? Because you and I know that it's temporary. Mm -hmm. it, it, this too shall pass is the biblical, um, you know, yeah. but, but yeah. what do you say to that person that's barely hanging on? You know, it's, it's so hard for me to say anything because I feel like every situation is so different. Yeah. Like I myself can't compare my situation and what I went through to, for example, say a, a single mother with a yeah. child yeah. who is in that situation. It's so different. But what I can say is I think because I was exposed to the education of you know, the sex trafficking and the slums and the child poverty and the child labor from such a young age that even when I was at the point where I was homeless, I was looking around and I was thinking to myself, wow, I can get welfare right now. I can get, um, I have like so many different resources at my disposal yeah. that even in the worst situation that you could possibly be in, if you're in it in a place like Canada or the States, you still have options. You still have choices. You still have, I mean, I, I was in my car a lot of, a, a large part because I was too proud to ask for help Yeah, because I didn't want to be seen in that light. I didn't want people to know what had happened. It was, I, I felt a lot of embarrassment and, and shame and all of that, but yeah. it, it, at the same time, I, I, again, like for me, I just, I knew that I was so much better off than so many people yeah. around the world that I, I still had to count my blessings in those moments. And wow. I think the biggest thing is, is if you can swallow the pride and if you can reach out to the community, there are a lot of communities that would be willing to help. Yeah. And I, I think that's the best advice, especially if you're like in a really desperate situation and you have dependents that are relying on you to provide for them, then, you know, there's no option to even be proud. You really have to set that aside and ask for help because it's not just about you anymore. For me, I was stubborn and I was setting really ridiculous kind of standards for myself to like, you know, do crazy things. Right, um, right. But I was young and naive and, and had that flexibility to, yeah. to do that. Um, but yeah, just know that you're not alone and it's true. It like this too shall pass. And there's literally the, there is only one way from the very bottom and that is up. Yep. And even if it does get worse, like it, you still have to have the mindset of like, there's only one way to go from here. And you have to make that choice. You have to make that decision for yourself and you have to actively pursue it. And there's something that um, I do, it's called um, manifestation meditation, 
where a lot of people meditate and they are like, mm, focus on your breath and think about nothing. And I'm like, I'm incapable of that. Sorry. I don't know how to do that. Not, I can't, it's just not in me. Yeah. What I can do is I can list out my goals for the day, for the month, for the year, for my life. Yeah. And then what I do is what I call manifestation meditation Yep. Where I'll, clo I'll close my eyes, I'll play some nice music, maybe I won't play music, whatever, I'll light a candle, set the environment, set the mood, and then I'll focus on each of those goals. And I'll really, really focus on it, I'll really, really visualize it. Yep. And while that sounds very woo-woo, it's actually not. If you read Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins, which saved my life when I was in a very dark place in my life yeah okay, then you know um the point where he starts talking about reticular activation system yeah and so when you're focusing on your goals what happens is it's this so close your eyes right now let's anybody who's watching this right now close your eyes you too you you'll probably already know this exercise i okay. do this daily oh i don't know if okay so when you close your eyes at, when i say go open your eyes and I want you to find everything that's blue. Ready? Open. Look around and find everything that's blue. Okay, stop. <laughs> How many things did you see that were yellow? Right. It's a big question mark because you right. weren't focusing on that. Yeah. So when you decide to focus on something, that's what you're going to see. It's the same thing like when you buy, for example, a white Tesla or a Tesla or whatever, yep. all of a sudden when you're on the road, you're going to be seeing Teslas everywhere because that's what you're, you, you've been focusing on. So what happens when you're manifesting, when you're intentionally, mindfully meditating and, and on manifestation, you're yeah. activating your reticular activation system. So when you're out in the world, you're noticing all the clues and all the signs for all of the things that are going to guide you towards accomplishing these goals, whether it's, oh, that person, that person has a connection to this thing that I'm yeah. trying to do, or oh my goodness, this news article, this is associated to what I'm trying to do. And you have to pick those little clues up that have been given to you by you intentionally activating your, again, your reticular activation system. And that's going to help you to achieve all of your goals. And so if you're at the bottom and you don't know where to go, focus on where you want to be really meditate on that and not the meditation of like don't think about anything meditate on the things that you want and your brain will biologically start finding the clues and finding the things that will allow you to then be able to accomplish those goals and be able to accomplish um or get to the point where you want to get to and totally, i think i Totally agree. I've meditated every day of my life for over 17 years. And I, I just told somebody recently, I have this ability to literally manifest on demand. It's, it's, it's insane, but it works everything you just said. So yeah. I absolutely love what you just said. Zara, you are an amazing human doing. I don't want to call you a human being because you're out there doing, and I love what you're doing and I love what you stand for. Love everything about you. You're amazing. So 
thank you so much for thank coming you for on. Having me. I really appreciate it. You rocked this interview. So, um, and, and we'll, we'll see you on, on now. Are you doing any on camera stuff or no, just kind of all behind the scenes stuff? Yeah. Like in film, I'm, I really want to produce. That's, that's yeah. my goal. That's my dream. And I'd love to come down to the States if, if, you know, it's just really hard for Canadians to, to get down there. Cause it's right so now, especially, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's just such a saturated industry as it is that it's, it's very difficult for, for us regardless. Well, there's a lot of people that want to have dinner with Richard Branson. <laughs> well, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've done it all. You, it, I think that if I, if I've learned anything about Zara, it is, if she decides she's going to have it, I think she's going to have it. So I, I hope I, so. Yeah. I love, I love it. I That's love it. That's the intention. You just got to yeah. keep going after it for sure. You're amazing. Thank you so You're much. Amazing. Thank Everybody you. loves Zara. Where's the best place to follow you, Zara? Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a good question. Um, I suppose, I mean, I, like I said, I don't really do social media. Clubhouse is probably the most intimate that I've gotten. I'm trying to build my Instagram so that I can teach people how to travel through like couch surfing and free and all of that stuff, but it doesn't really represent the whole of who I am. So I yeah. sort of neglected it, but I suppose Instagram clubhouse, one of the two, What's or your, just call uh, me. That's always a good place to connect. What? Call? Just call me. Yeah, yeah, I made a video to Oprah once and I put my phone number in there and I got a bunch of calls from a bunch of random people and that was fun. So <laughs> I'm always down for meeting new people that are aligned with my values. What is your Instagram handle? Do you know it offhand? Uh, yeah, it's just Zara.Liberty. L-I-B. The regular. Oh, like the regular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're you're here. Hold on. I made it, it easy for the English speakers. <laughs> so let me make sure I've got it. Is this right? That's right. Yeah. Zara dot liberty on Instagram. Yeah. That's the best place to follow you. So yeah. everybody go follow Zara on Instagram. And Zara, I'm gonna end this. Um, okay. But stay with me, stay with okay. me so we can chat for a minute. Sure. But um, thank you so much for thank coming you. on. Thank you for being so transparent. And, oh, and my pleasure, my pleasure. You're, you're amazing. So thank you. Everybody have a wonderful day and go to Instagram and follow Zara. Zara, thanks so much. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.